0: We tried to do this service um, back in early January and uh, this, uh, I got sick and Jay was gracious enough to delay the service so that I could be a part of it. And so this is an installation service as we do a formal transfer of um, Jay being our new lead pastor and um, taking that new mantle. Um, We've got, uh, I think we've got a special friend here, Sam Lucardo, are you here, Sam? Not yet, okay. Well, then I won't say anything about him. (laughs) I've said many times in this process, uh, what a great joy it has been to do this with Jay and our elders. I can't tell you how affirming it has been for me, how, how so many times in the discussions, we felt the presence of God unify our hearts and minds We came into things that we thought would be disagreements and difficulties that we would have to try to hammer through and we found ourselves going right to the same exact point over and over again to where it was just so clear how God was leading us. This is a three and a half year process of putting Jay into the lead pastor position and um, it has been a great joy. Uh, The humility and the the preference that Jay has given me during this process has been very honoring and the elders have been honoring as well. And then you have affirmed our direction with a 98 plus percent vote um, uh, for Jay as our, our lead guy. And in light of this, um, the clearest admonition that I could give you, I wanna speak to you, our, those of us who call Westgate home, I wanna speak to us. There's going to be a couple of guys that are going to come and speak to Jay a little bit more directly. But I want to speak to us. And I think the most meaningful thing I could give you is were, were these verses out of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul gave an admonition to a church, a first century church in Ephesus, a, a situation really much like ours in terms of culture and and, and, and resistance and those kinds of things and the, the things that are in front of us. And I, I just think these words are for us. And so I want to I give them to you. I'm going to read them to you and to me. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. And then skipping to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and have become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people with their deceitful scheming in their creative social media. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. Instead, instead, in contrast to speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each and every part does its work. Dan, I'm I'm sorry, Jay has chosen Dan Kimball and Isaac Serrano to come and speak to you today. Um, Dan is a dear friend. We've known he and his family, Dana and I have since 1991. And he's the lead pastor at Vintage Faith. And Isaac Serrano is the lead pastor of South Valley Community Church. And so Dan's gonna come and share and then Isaac will be right after him. Well,
1: it's a uh, um, joy to be here. It's just interesting, Steve, looking, watching you. 31 years ago, I remember Steve. Uh, I was serving over at Santa Cruz Bible Church as youth director and, um, and then met Steve. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But um, it's an honor to be here. Super excited, and I'm just going to share a couple of words, kind of almost taking what Steve uh, started with here. You have this Bible, and the Holy Spirit inspired the entire scriptures through people. And you can't help but read this Bible, the New Testament, and see how incredibly important local churches were and are in the mission of God, and just how he uh, communicates through churches uh, all over the place to see who Jesus is, be known by other people. Um, In the New Testament, the disciples, when they're hanging around with Jesus for his time on earth, and then after he was resurrected, he's with his disciples. And in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says these words to those who are following him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this power that the Spirit that was giving his followers was for a purpose, right? It wasn't just so they could cluster together and have things go their way, or that they're now, they knew Jesus and they're all together. The purpose, it says, is that you're going to then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you think of this, like if they saw the risen Jesus, Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit is gonna be given to you, And the purpose is that you'll be able to represent me in this world. You'll be able to tell others how your life was changed. You'll be able to tell others in a very pluralistic, polytheistic culture, the greco roman world at that time, that was not all receiving of Christians and churches. It was very even hostile. And you're going to let them know about who I am. And you saw these disciples, these followers, start traveling and God used them, and they were traveling out, and they were starting local churches. If you have a Bible, like you normally see, <clears throat> if you have like, these maps, you know, and there's a map of uh, the Mediterranean, and I'm always fascinated with maps because you know they didn't have uh, you know, automobiles and trains and things like that back then. They traveled by foot, you know, by boat, and they were, m- with the urgency... Of telling people about who Jesus was. And When you look at these maps, you, know, you can see like they went off and they, they talked about Jesus here, they planted churches, they started new churches in all of these different areas so that new disciples of Jesus could be made, so people could hear about who Jesus was. They risked their lives about it and you'll see it was through starting local churches. Like whenever you look at the maps, it was these cities and then they'd start local churches and then the plan was The Spirit guided them through the scriptures and as they were being directed to then appoint leaders in these churches. Now, the church themselves, they're all involved. They're all on mission together. But the structure the New Testament lays out is there were churches that were started. And then they would have leaders that were in these churches. And that was the beautiful way that this happened. When you finish, like, the book of Acts, that's kind of one of the books, the New Testament, that tells this whole story. And, and then all of a sudden it ends. And it doesn't just end there. The Spirit of God kept moving. The Spirit of God kept having people travel all across the world. And to be starting new churches. And then appointing leaders in these churches as a way of spreading the news of who Jesus was. Building communities to then spread the news of who Jesus is. The Bay Area is a map. You know, we can go back in history and say people started moving into the Bay Area, and then we started seeing people, you know, becoming appointing as leaders, and you'll see God, like, picking people with this man named Paul. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and these kings to the people of Israel. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15. So you'll see that... There's intentionality here, and all I know is that you look across time, and the mission doesn't end in the scriptures, it continues, and the mission of local churches starting and carrying out what Jesus instructed them to do 2,000 years later is happening here in the Bay Area. Local churches have been started, leaders put into place for new disciples to be made, and as I was sharing back in 1991, like... I was on staff at Santa Cruz Bible Church serving in youth and then Steve and Dana Clifford moved from a rural town in Texas uh, to Santa Cruz. And I can still remember his energy just bursting out just like you know Dallas Cowboys and it was playing guitar and he came from a young life background and like football coach guy. You know. And here's what I know, over the next decade that we served together in a local church in Santa Cruz. That church, it was pretty small at that time, and over the next several years, Steve was on, and was on the core team, and that church grew by thousands of people. And just to see that, and it was just uh, being part of, we're serving together, a team was assembled for that season, and thousands, I mean, it was really an amazing uh, time. I remember when Steve told me, Hey, I'm talking to a church over in San Jose, this church called Westgate Church, and meeting with their elders, and knowing that there was prayer. And I remember uh, praying way back then for just like, all right, Lord's moving people around to serve him in different places. And sure enough, Steve and Dana came over here. And I remember coming over and meeting with Steve in that, it's like a building, it's not there anymore. It's just like this building, this place is all different. And then watching something similar happen. And then this building was built. And like Steve, I'm sorry, God was using Steve and Dana and the team that was assembled here to continue this mission. And people's lives were being changed. You're here because of God using people to develop communities of faith, all of you involved, to then see more people know about Jesus. And it's just been amazing watching and following what's happening at Westgate, you know, over all of these years. And now, God's moving again. Same Holy Spirit, and Jay and Jenny are now stepping into a role here. And it's just like this exciting thing to think about how God's action continues, you know. And Steve mentioned like the prayers and the people. That's what's so important. You know, Steve and Dana are staying in your midst and still be serving. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, because I know it's not scripture, but it's kind of like the story's going on. We're still seeing the story of the mission of Jesus carried through different people in different seasons. And all I know is that uh, it is a testimony to Christ and to people of what has been happening here since Steve and Dana came. And again, the team, there's so many others involved and so many of you to see this. It's a spirit-driven movement that has happened through Westgate and continuing now with Jay and Jenny te- te- stepping into a, pis- uh, a position of leadership. Now, as the scriptures say, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. And that's for all of you. Like right now, the season you're moving into, you have all different staff here at this church that are serving Jesus with all their might. Jay and uh, Jenny are taking this role, coming into there's so many of you that you volunteer time, you're just part of the mission, just like with, with everybody. And um, and now as they're taking this role, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm like so excited and it's just been like watching, I don't say this like just because I'm a pure thing. it's like you just feel God's intent of what's happening here and so it's really exciting um, it's it's and I'm not exaggerating to say this it really feels like a spirit led movement of things that's going on for what God has next in store for this church and it's a, I can't respect people more than uh, Stephen and Dana and their faithful serving you and the team as well the whole staff and what a joy it is to see with Jane Jen and just everyone that's happening here. So Isaac Serrano is now gonna come on up and take it from here, but what a wonderful thing. And uh, Isaac, come on up. All right, here we go.
2: As Dan has said, it's an honor to be here this morning with you all. In the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, have historically been collected and called the Torah or the law. And in this law, there are roughly 613 laws. That's 613 rules, commandments, statutes, and ordinance that Israel was to live by. They were supposed to know them and abide in them. Now, in the midst of all of those laws... There is a heartbeat, however, there is a verse that is chief among all the laws and it was something that was to be memorized and you were to recite it when you would wake up in the morning. You were to recite it before you would go to bed. It was something that you would actually write on your doorpost so that as you left your house and entered the world, you would be reminded of ultimate reality, and then when you came back into your home and your family, you again would be reminded of that which is most true, that which is true about reality. That verse is Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now at this point, some of you might be wondering, okay, sounds, sounds kind of cool, but why in the world at an installation service? are we talking about Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and all these Old Testament laws? Now, there's a million directions we can go at this point. However, I want to focus on one thing, and that one thing is the word one, the last word that appears in this verse. In Hebrew, it's the word echad, and in many senses, in most sense, the Hebrew word echad functions the same way our English word one does. It's not like there's some secret, like, Bible knowledge background that unlocks all this other stuff. I mean, it just, it just means one. However, when you look at that one word, one, in light of the sum total of Scripture, all kinds of fascinating things begin to rise to the surface. Because this verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, is making it explicitly clear That there is only one God. But through the rest of scripture, you see that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, within this echad, this oneness, there is also plurality. There is a plurality and singularity simultaneously. God is one, but he is Father, Son, and Spirit. Plurality in the midst of oneness, echadness, if you will. Now, what's interesting is that idea, that sort of theme of a plurality in the midst of a oneness is carried out through the rest of Scripture. And we see it take take place in several different areas. One of the most famous places is at the beginning of Scripture in uh, the first wedding. There we go. The wedding between Adam and Eve. And right after this, the Scriptures say... That, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Echad, flesh. Now you follow this. There's two people. But they are coming together, and now there is one flesh. Two people, one flesh. Again, a plurality in the midst of oneness. In marriage, there is no longer merely or solely uh, I and me. There is now we and us. Again, there's a plurality and a singularity, a plurality in the midst of oneness. Now, that theme is taken through the rest of Scripture, but probably the most fascinating place we see this occur is in the final moments of the life of Jesus. So this is incredible. The Gospel of John actually records the prayer that Jesus prays before he's handed over, betrayed, and crucified. Now, this, from a historical standpoint, is remarkable. We have the final prayer of Jesus before he's handed over. And if you look into this prayer, you should get a glimpse into what is actually at the heart of Jesus. What's on his mind? What does he value most? What is he going to his father about when everything's about to go down? And in that prayer, you see that Jesus prays for the apostles, the 12 disciples. And then after that, he continues on in the prayer. And these are some of his words. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'll stop for a moment. Who's that? That's you. That's us. Jesus himself in his earthly ministry prayed for you. He prayed for you. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved loved me as even as you loved sorry loved them even as you loved me now that's incredible like that's mysterious and profound Jesus' prayer is that we would be one with each other and one with God in the same way that the Son is one with the Father. Now, that's not true in every sense of the way that the Son is one with the Father. It's not as if Jesus is asking for other people to be added into, like, members of the Trinity. It's not true in every sense. However, at least in one sense, Jesus is asking for a oneness and a unity that the Father has son with the, shared with the Son and the Son has shared with the Father He's asking for that to take place among his people. And then what's fascinating beyond that is that he says that when the church is one and united and experiences this this oneness, that will demonstrate to the world who its true Lord is. The world will know that the son was sent by the father based upon the unity and oneness of the church. It's like the great apologetic that's never talked about. The great apologetic to the world is that under the banner of Christ, the church would be united and one. And the world will know whom we belong to by our ability to do such things. Jesus prays for that before he goes to the cross. Now, um, that's kind of motivational, but it's sort of like easier said than done. Do you know how hard it is to get along with people? Like some of you are going, I don't even get along with my family, man. How are you expecting me to get along with these other people? I don't even know them. And especially in our current cultural moment, right? There's a lot of division, anger. We're always at each other's throats, quick to get angry. Nevertheless, that's the goal that's given. But on a practical level, it's like, well, how do we actually make that happen? Well, the Apostle Paul picks up this theme about unity and oneness in the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, he, he begins to, to break this down, but he begins with a set of rhetorical questions. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, now we'll stop right there, you see how the, the rhetorical question's working. working. He, he's going, if there's any of this in Christ, if there's any encouragement of Christ, any comfort from love, and if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be saying, yes, Paul, of course there's encouragement and comfort in Christ. The answer is yes, of course, Paul. And then he makes his move, his pivot. He says, okay, if all of that is true, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So if any of that stuff is true that you claim about Christ... Make my joy complete. And what would make Paul's joy complete? The same thing that was on the mind and heart of Jesus before the cross. The unity and oneness of the church. Now, we're still left with our same dilemma and problem, though, right? Because it's like, okay, we got it. Easier said than done. And Paul almost anticipates this and gives us a clue into how this can actually be accomplished. He says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So you have to, to get rid of selfish ambition and conceit, and then you have to clothe yourself in humility, and then begin to count others as more significant, Now, that is not saying become an insecure person who lets people walk over you. It is saying humble yourself and begin to look out for the interest of others, even before your own. So if you want to accomplish what Jesus and Paul are commanding, it begins with humility, wrapping yourself in it, putting aside selfish ambitions and beginning to look out for the interests of others. Okay, that's a a, a great help. But it's still kind of like easier said than done. Have you ever tried to be humble? It's kind of one of those like trick things. It's very difficult. It's like if you're working on pride in your life and you make 10 steps forward, you're very proud of the growth you've made in (laughs) wrestling with pride. So Paul again anticipates this. And he gives us the final clue. In understanding how to actually accomplish this in the real world, on the ground. He says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being... Oh, man. (laughs) Found in human form. (laughs) He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, now follow the inner logic here. Jesus and Paul. One. Oneness. Unity. Do this. Make my joy complete. The only way you're going to be able to do that is by clothing yourself in humility, putting aside selfish ambition and conceit, and begin to look out for each other's needs, even before for your own. But that's gonna be really difficult. So your only hope in actually doing that is to have this mind in you, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. And what is that? To fix your eyes upon the example of Christ Jesus. And then he begins to tell a story of descent. He says that Christ, who was God, king of kings, Lord of lords, in the highest of heavens. He did not cling to that. Rather, he empties himself and he becomes a human. And that already should be enough, that God, the king of kings and Lord of lords, would come down and take upon himself humanity. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, no, no, there's even more. It's not just that he left the highest of heavens and takes upon the human nature. When he comes, he becomes a specific type of human. He becomes a servant. And so the descent continues. King, Lord, human, servant. And then Paul says, that's not, that's not, that's not the end of the story. It goes even further down from heaven to humanity to becoming a servant and then even obedient to death. So Paul is saying, you have to fix your eyes upon the person and work of Jesus if you ever are going to have it in you to do this humility thing, to accomplish the oneness task. But then it's it's not done yet. He goes even further. He goes to the farthest extreme imaginable. So what we see is the two extremes being united in one story. The highest of heaven, the king king of kings and lord of lords, becomes a human, becomes a servant becomes obedient to the point of death, and then the type of death. Yes, indeed, even death on a cross. And so Paul says, if you want to do this, you fix your eyes upon the story of Jesus. You look to his example. You model your life after him. You adopt his pattern and mode of being. And then you have a hope of doing the humility thing, the putting aside selfish ambition thing, and then you have a hope in being one, having echadness, if you will. And what do the scriptures say that the Father does for the Son? Subsequent to this, it says, "Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." So Jesus is lifted up and given the name above every name, and now it's under the banner of Christ that we unite. It's under his lordship, his banner, his kingdom. And we put aside differences and things that might lead to division and petty squabbles that we engage in. And we unite under the banner of Christ. And so... My encouragement today for Westgate Church and for Jay is the same. That you would fix your eyes upon Jesus and his example. And you would make Christ your aim. That Christ would be your aim in all things. And in doing so, you will demonstrate to the world who its true Lord is. You will demonstrate to the world that the Son was indeed sent by the Father. And so the task of the pastor, in one sense, is similar to the task of the church as a whole. You fix your eyes upon the same target. You establish what true north is, and you're all going on mission together, putting aside this or that, because Christ is our aim. Now... On a very personal level, um, I want to tell you how blessed you are as a church. And like Dan, I'm probably going to get a little choked up now. I only got a minute more, so I just got to survive a minute and not. You have been pastored by one of the best in the country. Really. Really. And, and he's taught you everything I have already said. But sometimes we just need a little extra encouragement and remind, to remind ourselves of sacred truth in scripture. And I'm absolutely convinced that you will be pastored by one of the greatest in the country. When I... When I stepped into pastoring... Um, I made a list uh, of just two names, actually, of who who I would call up and say, hey, I'm a young guy, I'm stepping into pastoring, Um, I'm probably in over my head, but I really respect you from a distance, and can I just come and, like, hang out and learn from you? And coincidentally, those those two men are in the room today. I called Steve Clifford and Dan Kimball. And both of them let me come tag along and would meet and have lunch with me. And so I'm not saying that just like as a nice flattering thing to say. I called those two men and I called Steve Clifford, said, teach me what you know, man. And he would. One of the first things he told me, he said, I'm never going to meet with you again if you don't take more time off. (laughs) So you've been pastored by one of the best. And I'm convinced you will be pastored by one of the best. And it's not as if Steve is leaving. He still has a significant role here. But there is a transition in that. And in the midst of all that's going on in the world, of of easy, it's so easy to be divisive and get off track and focus on things that we shouldn't, my encouragement to you is to heed the word of the final prayer of Jesus before the cross. The success of this church going into the future rests on your ability to unite under the banner of Christ and make him your aim. So Westgate Church, may you continue to do what you've always done. Thank you. Steve.
0: I think it's funny that Jay chose somebody who has the tallest hair of anybody I know and the most hair of anyone I know. Okay, I need to do a couple of things to transition, <laughs> right? And then I get up here and you're like, wow, he is really bald. It's that's not, that's not just barely bald. I mean, that dude is all the way bald. Okay, so a couple of things I need to do to transition. First, South Hills, it's been a joy to have you with us uh, during this time. And I know we don't normally stream over there, but it's been great to have you. And now I'm gonna dismiss you to Andy Gridley and his leadership as you continue on in your service. And thank you for joining us. And then I need to um, just real quickly say, kind of, uh, there's a friend of Westgate that's that maybe is a, not, a, not a likely friend, but who has been um, for eight years the mayor, our mayor, Sam Lucardo. And I just wanna thank you, Sam, for the friendship. <laughs> Really, thank you for serving our city, and thank you for the friendship that you've had with Westgate, and the, you have allowed us to go places that most mayors probably wouldn't have allowed, and so we thank you for that, and thank you for our service, and I, I hope you're not done serving our state, okay. Jay, I wanna invite you up here. Uh, where are you? Come on up, Jay. I'm glad it's you. Jay, do you in the presence of our congregation commit yourself to this new trust and responsibility to shepherd and lead us as God's spirit leads you? Do you promise to keep the scriptures ever before us as our guide and to preach the gospel of Jesus faithfully, regardless of the pressures to abandon it? Will you lead and serve with Jesus as our aim and the Spirit of God as your guide? I do. Then, my brother, I pass this silly little baton <laughs> over into your hands. And I, I look forward to where you're going to lead, Dana and I, as we, as we share it together with this congregation. I trust the spirit of God in you and your walk of faith. Jenny, if you could come on up and uh, Dan, uh, Dan and Isaac and elders and pastoral staff and directors, if you could come on up as well. Um, we want to take some time for us. You have a part to play as well. Um, we've asked Ken Vershagen to lead this prayer time. And if you feel comfortable first stand please with us. And if you feel comfortable as 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 a sign of placing your hand in mine with that baton and placing that baton into into Jay's care um if you would just extend your hands to him and Jenny
3: as Ken leads us. Heavenly Father, it's such an opportunity, such a privilege and such a joy to be part of this body and uh I'm just speaking for the elders, but really the whole congregation that uh, you've been in this process for three and a half years. You've led us through prayer, petition, fasting to a decision that we feel 100% certain is the right decision. And uh, we say thank you to Steve, but not goodbye to Steve. We thank you for all that he's done here, building this church from something small to something significant. You've asked us to make disciples and uh, we continue in that thank you for steve's gifts including uh, things like um, beautiful day and things like boot camp and things like 640. Um, we just pray for steve and his ongoing ministry with flourish that we might be able to continue in support but today's about jay and we thank you for bringing him here through the path that he traveled and thanks for his friendship with Dan and with Isaac, and that uh, plea for unity, because we are one. We are one in you, and um, I just pray that uh, as you lead us through the hands of Jay with his incredible theology, knowledge, and um, just kind of insight into the culture, and that you've gifted him so specially just for us, just for us at this time, and uh, we pray that as we move forward... Both individually and as a body, that you would help us from going to faith, the faith of in Jesus, to the faith of Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen.